Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm JB solemnly alone in the rugby dungeon without my friends because they are down the line tim where are you you're in greece or monaco or where where are you a travel lodge in farringdon mate oh wow <laughs> uh, presumably times waiting times have changed haven't they just Fall, fallen fallen upon hard times or what mate what's uh, what's going on there well uh, i well the actual truth of the matter is i could not bear a three and a half hour train back from London to Manchester this evening, which would have risked missing the podcast completely. Yep. Uh, and so I decided to just get myself... So basically, I'm here. I'm, I've, I've paid for a hotel room to do the podcast and also to save myself an hour and a half of my time, which I, I think... There you go. So just however you want. A travel tavern. Very nice. <laughs> uh, and Phil, where are you? You're somewhere weird. Uh, not that weird. Um, North Yorkshire Moors. So this is your annual excursion, walking. You haven't had enough walking this month, so (laughs) off you go again. Well, I'm I'm not doing that much walking at the moment. Um, My 
walking action has been so infrequent that my um, Garmin tell my Garmin now thinks that I should be doing six thousand steps a day because <laughs> it, 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 it tails off when you do less and less and peaks up when you do more and more. Is that right? So I got, yeah, yeah. Is that why so, it keeps on telling me random targets that I've hit? Like, oh well, then you're in seven thousand, and I've set it for twelve. Yeah. So mine is on. I've never set mine. Mine just like tracks. So if I'm like in normal life, I walk somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand steps on a normal day. Uh, so my my average is normally around the fifteen thousand mark. But in the last two weeks since I nearly killed myself, um, it's dropped down to six thousand because I've because I've not been walk. I've not been doing anything. So so today I got a massive pat on the back after walking six thousand one hundred steps today. So quick question for you: What is the point in going to North Yorkshire if you can't go hiking? Uh, I can go and eat ice cream on the beach. Oh, lovely. Uh, and I can do some cycling, which is one of the things I did this afternoon. Lovely. So there's still still plenty. To do. Well, after last week's rugby hiatus, we have some rugby to talk about again, boys. Actual senior competitive rugby. Well, JB, this links this links in some way to the, the podcast, hopefully, because as well as the rugby we can actually talk about, I want to be able to get to some emails, but I can't see the emails. Uh, but contactedchasers at gmail.com is our email address. I'm going to just send um, a little thing. Can you just accept? You need to send a, a little... I need to do a thing to your phone, JB. It should just come up, and the number 28 is what you need to select. I don't think it's coming to my phone. I think it's going to be to your old phone, Tim. No, it's an S21. Yeah, that's not my phone. That's like, was it your phone? Uh, it used to be my phone from like, that was like six egg chasers trips ago. Right. So okay. Last All time right. I had, I, I, last time I had a because it's so gone. What what, what rugby based trip did you lose that S twenty one phone in? On? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, I currently operate <laughs> a Google Pixel Seven Pro. My Google Pixel 7 was left in a taxi in Manchester, never to be seen again. My Google Pixel 6a was lost in, not Barcelona, the one before Barcelona. Uh, Then I lost one in Dubai. I've lost one in Lisbon. Lisbon would have been when I lost my Google, so it would be Madrid when I lost my S21. So there is some, some guy in Madrid who, fingers crossed, will accept you. (laughs) <laughs> he won't know what number to type in to let me give me access to the email well he's got a one in three oh, chance right well you're going to have to you're going to have to um, <laughs> sort that out at some point yes uh, because there's nothing I can do so I can't I cannot get into our emails um, by the way I've just got a Pixel 7 it's very very good and good aren't they for recording your CrossFit workouts <laughs> anyway so yes oh no never mind the emails unless any of you have got your eyes on it otherwise well let's just talk about the rugby Yes, let's. So, did anyone watch the rugby championship? All yes. of it. All of it. Yeah. Good effort, boys. Yeah. So I loved it. I only watched part of the Australia South Africa game. Didn't bother watching the All Blacks game. Uh, I've got a real keen interest this time around in South Africa. I think they look awesome. But yeah, that, that's one that I wanted to watch. So, why don't we start with that one? Hmm. And is it is it worth? Yeah, here's a question for both of you, because I saw as well South Africa, Australia, got to watch virtually all of the game live. Mm-hmm. Um, were South Africa, considering it was not their first choice team, and they've got, is it 12 bodies in New Zealand at the moment preparing? 
12 very large bodies. What do you do with 12, yeah. with 12 men? Just 12 men on their own. What do you do with them? <laughs> Plunder New Zealand villages, impregnate yeah, the women. I mean, it could be that. It could be that. I mean, like, it's just such a tour de force from South Africa to put this sort of team out and have 12 of them. But like, I just undo, don't understand what, other than gym work and a bit of running, I can't imagine what useful stuff they're doing in New Zealand. Is there another reason for this? Or a reason for it? So my guess would be it's um, they're, t- they're trying to do two things. They're taking the opportunity to rotate a little bit mm-hmm. and um, avoiding some of the starters for what is um, obviously and evidently the bigger game um, based on the scores this week. Um, they are trying to avoid um, probably two things, any wear and tear from this class clash plus the transit, because if you play this game, you've then within 36, 48 hours of finishing the game this week, have got to jump on a 14 plus hour flight um, with the associated um, jet lag that comes with that. So it's probably those two things was Mm. in their mind. And massively. That's it. That's it. That's the only, that's the only, that's the only reason. That's it. So can my, my, Sorry, go on, Jay. I was going to say, can you? Who are the twelve players who are not, who did not play? Uh, Malcolm Marks, Ebenet Sabeth, Lou Diaga, Jean Luc Dupree, oh, uh, Jasper Visa. They're the forwards, I think. Stephen Kitsoff was meant to be one of them as well. There may be one or two others, mm-hmm. and then behind the scrum, Fafterclerk, Andre Pollard, Jesse Creel, Damien Dialande, uh, Makazoli Mapimpi. Colby. Uh, Cheslin Colby. So though, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> wow. A pretty handy team. Almost a pretty amazing World Cup winning quality team. Good Lord. Well, I tell you what, regardless of who they didn't have, it didn't seem particularly that important that they had them to uh, uh, had them to begin with. Because this score is worthy of women's rugby, it's got to be said. 43-12. It's not even competitive. Well, I just want to say on that, on the score, I'm massively disappointed with DMAC, who missed a couple of conversions. We can get onto his performance later, which is actually very good. Mm. Uh, but he missed, if he'd have got one more conversion, it would have been identical scores both games. I know. Yeah. I know. Poor. Two beatdowns. Stick, stick in with the South Africa Australia. And the, the question I was going to ask was is it more impressive? Like which, which is the better or the. the um, I try to think of the best way of phrasing this, but is it more impressive the South African performance given how many players they rested, or is it more disappointing the Australian performance given it's the start of the Eddie Jones era? Yep, they um, selected presumably what they thought was the strongest squad, and they would have been targeted in this game, particularly given the fact that South Africa are missing so many. Yeah, so which a- is better, worse? It is an abysmal performance from Australia, in my opinion. Absolutely abysmal. Do you know what really summed up the whole performance for me? And this is a player that I love. I think he's one of the world's most exciting, maybe not one of the world's best, one of the world's most exciting players, was watching Tom Wright just sort of, you know, feebly look at the breakdown one one yard away from his line as someone crashed over. Was it Was it the Steph to Toy try, maybe? 
can't remember which one know. it was. It's literally the was... easiest try you've ever seen. He just picks it up and walks over, and Tom Wright is just looking at the breakdown. He's not even in a position to tackle. He just looks at him, flop, flopping over the try line. He literally goes through the breakdown. But that that was... There was a few breaks and a few tries where Australian defenders did not want to get involved. They didn't, they did just, they? They looked so... They, just they looked cowardly almost. Yeah, yeah. They were not... I, I think you need to pass out that Australian performance. I actually thought at half-time, I was sort of scribbling down a couple of notes, and I thought while South Africa were the better team, I actually thought Australia were decent. I thought they were really good. I thought they were... I could see what they were trying to do with the kicking game and they were trying to get a bit of territory in possession. It wasn't quite working, but I, it was an awful second half, but it wasn't an awful first half. I mean, I, I, maybe I'd want to go back and watch it again, but I, uh, think I don't know what happened in that second 40. Well, do you think there's a chance that this relates to something we spoke about last week, which is what does possession rugby look like? What does physical rugby look like? And it's not what you think. It is a process of tenderizing your opponents until you can score five tries right at the end. I think that's probably what mm-hmm. happened. I think the Australians came out pretty manfully in the first half to try and take on South Africa. But once you break, you really break. You know, Nothing breaks at all, and then it all breaks very, very suddenly. And I think that's what happened to Australia. When, when they sort of gave up on the, on the physical battle, when they lost it and they were thoroughly tenderised, South Africa just you know, ran riot and their heads went down, there's low morale, it got worse and worse and worse. I think there is a bit more to this as well, because... You're right, Australia, it wasn't a terrible first half for them. They they went down, uh, it was 17-5 at half-time, wasn't it? But they scored yep. They scored a, a lovely first try, although there was a bit of a juggling at the line-out. But they, they finished off that uh, Corabetti try excellently. But the, the frustrating bit, watching it kind of through an Australian lens, was, you're, you're exactly right, I think both of you said, Australia tried to play more of a kicking game and they experimented with long kicks, with deep kicks, with uh, box kicks, with high kicks, with short kicks, with um, crossfield kicks. And I'm struggling to think of, there's maybe one or two that kind of came off well. But they, Yeah, one they, kick from Nick White that went five metres out is the only one I can think of. And there's one crossfield from Cooper, I think. But he's... His little dinks over the top were just telegraphed and poorly executed, well read by the South African defence, South African back three. Um, many of his cross-field kicks were too short, too long. Like It, it was... I, I, I kind of see what they were trying to do in, exactly as you said, JB, the possession or the possession or non-possession rugby, um, depending on exactly how you do it. Yeah. But it was the execution that was just not there. Yeah, I think there's an element of this, isn't there, where coaches just think if you tell players to kick the ball, they'll all of a sudden develop a good kicking game. And if your strategy is kicking, and you know, I know what you're saying about the range of kicks that Australia were employing, you might need different players. You might need mm-hmm. a completely different yep. setup in order to pull this off. So uh, if you look at, uh, I think it's Caden Moody for South Africa, I'm sure it's him, actually. On his debut, he was awesome because he was sent there to, to chase kicks. So it, mm-hmm. it changes the whole look of your team from how your wingers operate to you know, and how they ch- chase their kicks to actually what the halfbacks do and who the halfbacks are. Quade Cooper's a marvellous, marvellous player. He's got all sorts of tricks. And he's probably got, you know, he has got a very nice 
short kicking game. But I think it's more than that. It's about the awareness. It's about using it on a regular basis. Same same for Nick White. If you're going to change completely what, what you're doing, you might need completely different personnel. And if you don't have those personnel available to you, don't play that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. Um, it'll be interesting to see because we've said it several times <clears throat> recently and many times over the years that World Cups do tend to be won by teams who um, are very solid. They kick intelligently. They don't necessarily score lots and lots of points, but they they can do that controlling possession type game very well. Yeah. So yeah. is this the first step towards doing it? And will they learn? I, from I, I think you're onto something there, Phil. I think yeah. you're onto something there, Phil. And again, it, it, it's a lot more enjoyable watching an Eddie Jones team when he's not your coach and trying to work out what he's up to, not having to deal with the frustration of uh, what's behind it. But I I think you might be hitting the nail on the head. I don't think that's how Australia are going to play ultimately. I think that maybe it's a recognition that they need to add that type of text to their game because what was what was noticeable in this game and you've already mentioned Quade Cooper JB very very intelligent rugby player Nick White tactically fantastic player real good rugby brain and you had others out there on that field that know what they're doing and they persisted with this technique even when it was obviously not working which sort of says to me that there's a bigger picture at play here this is trying to make Australia fans feel a bit better and also make me not get ahead of myself as an England fan thinking that oh no worries if we meet Australia in a quarter final because I I just can't see them being that naive when it comes to World Cup time I've seen Eddie Jones up close for a long time now he does some crazy things so you know, if you remember the Nations Cup, which they which England played in, there was talk of like, yeah, we won't show you our attacking playbook until it's time, but we're just going to work on defence for three games. It's not how rugby works. You, you know, you go out and you play the entire game all, um, all of the time. You don't just say, look, for three games we're going to do defence, and then for the next three we, we might do some attack. It's not really something which happens. Um, he also has this tendency to want to pick players who, quote-unquote, are test match animals to fit his system whereas I think someone like Dave Rennie would have would have been a far better it would be far better for Australia to stick with someone like Dave Rennie because he's far more flexible in how he employs his players so I like a coach that can sit like an example of this would be Gatland actually he sort of formulates his team around the players that he has he doesn't have the option to go out and have all these world class players that he would like in, in these different positions so you've got to be more flexible Eddie Jones has never had that, and I think this is probably a, a, a reflection of it. Mm, it will be interesting to see how Eddie Jones shapes up, because he's he's always taught a, a big game, like particularly for England over the last three years. He taught a big game about judge me on the World Cup, judge me on the World Cup. He's he he allegedly um, had a plan for the World Cup, and I'm sure. In his mind, he has got a plan for Australia for that World Cup. But whether that actually pays off, comes to fruition, even exists, is um, is going to be. We're going to find out over the next uh, what would it be three months, something like yeah. that, between now and the World Cup final. So that, I'm I'm looking forward to watching that unfold without without the skin in the game of it actually being. England that he is uh, potentially yeah. crashing into the side of a mountain. Yeah, and, all, and another th- another one to watch for the World Cup. We got a little glimpse at what 
journalists, coaches, press conferences and all that can do when it's cranked up a little bit and there's a bit more at stake because uh, I actually felt a little bit sorry for Eddie Jones with the headlines in South Africa this week. It was quite fun to watch, but I did feel a little bit sorry for him because he he didn't say, uh, we want to play, we only want to play the A team, mate. We don't want to play a B team. He, he didn't actually say that. He He was asked a question about the likely opponents and all he actually said was, Oh, we're looking forward to playing the, you know, we always, what did he say? He said, we always want to play the best. We always want to play the best team. And he just, he was trying to actually deflect from what he, what was a trap, but the journalist still managed to turn it into a, oh, he's want, he's disappointed that South Africa are playing the B team, which then that story looked like he had real egg on, egg on his face. I'm just, <laughs> uh, just sticking up for him a little bit on that one because it's, that's not what happened. <clears throat> I didn't even well, know on, that, that was the storyline. To, to be fair, so thank you for that. On, on well, that. in um, well, well, after the game, uh, a journalist said to him, "I don't know if you've seen the clip. It's really quite funny." Eddie does not take it well. The journalist says, uh, "So, Eddie, you you said before the game you you uh, didn't you were disappointed to be playing uh, South Africa's B team. So, you know, what what are your thoughts now? Basically, he's like." Mate, you don't need to be a smart ass, mate. You don't need to be a smart ass. He did not take it well. He, he carried it on after the press conference had finished. Do you know, like, I just find, I find all of his stick now so repetitive and dull. I just, answer, just, just answer the question. Just answer the question. Like he, he's developed quite a confrontational attitude towards journalists, and I kind of do get that as well. But I, I think whatever his strategy is, whether it's to quieten down people with sort of... Oh, very brisk answers. It just doesn't work now. I think he just looks a bit silly. I I still quite like it. I've always, I've always... I, but, but yeah, you got to remember what's the alternative, Jay? What is the alternative? We're on a journey. We're just on a say, journey. Yeah, I, I we're mean, on a journey. I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even dignify that with an answer. I thought, yeah, well, there, like there you go. Write that. Yeah. Move on. Next I, question. I, I... I always quite like him. I think he's um, he's, <laughs> he's great value. It's like yeah. Steve Diamond. I, I quite exactly as frustrating as they can be, and you can disagree with them on lots of things. They, they're, they're great characters, and Eddie Jones is. Don't you conflate Steve Diamond and Eddie Jones, please? <laughs> Very different. Both hookers, men. both both aggressive hookers and, and successful coaches. Yeah, yeah, but one of them's like 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 the legitimate finished article, and the other one's Eddie Jones. So I just don't think I don't think it's a good comparison. Thank you. But anyway, the, the the fact that Argentina got panned as well, and and Eddie Jones talking about him for a second get got banned that game next weekend. Checker Jones is set up beautifully, yeah. oh, and God, also yes. like course for the first time in a while, fairly equal teams. I mean, there's always been one who's had the reins of a slightly better team. Let's put let's put it that way, but. These these two, judging by these scores from the weekend, are a bit of a mess. And also, do you know what else it made me think? A couple of weeks ago, we were saying how exciting international rugby is because so many teams could win the World Cup. Well, I think we could narrow that down to maybe two Southern Hemisphere, two Northern Hemisphere. There's four. I'd say there's four teams now, rather than six or eight. I, I think you're certainly judging by this and the recent Six Nations. Um, I think you're right. I think there's, I think there's four teams. Uh, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to have to like, I agree. I do agree with you broadly, but the fact that either 
Wales, well, two of Wales, Australia, Argentina, and England, most likely, are going to be in. Two of those are going to be in the semi-finals. Then it's then it's just a, on any given day mm. you could put two performances together. So I think that the the it's it's unfair on Scotland and maybe Ireland, maybe South Africa and maybe Italy. It's unfair on the draw, but it's really, I, sh- I should have mentioned Fiji as well, I guess. Fiji could yes. end up in a World Cup semi-final. It's, it, the draw has really opened it up to the point that I think you'd have to include whoever gets to the semi-final. Two of those teams will. Yeah. Just going back to, to Australia, I'm looking at, at their team now. And you know, there's a lot of talent there and there's a lot of talent not there uh, as well. So they will get better. But I think, I mean, I don't know what the answer is for Verdi Jones. I mean, based on this, Whatever the answer is, he hasn't found it yet. I would suggest that they've just got to let them loose a bit because some of this talent is un- is unreal. Ikatao, yeah, Betty. One of the big problems they've got is th- their back line is great. Their scrum was on roller skates and their line-out got hammered. Yeah, well, if you look at it, they've not really... I mean, who are your line-out options? Nick Frost is a big old boy. Will Skelton's not exactly... Sort Richie of, Arnold. Know. Yeah, but... You know, sorry, but from the last... Sorry, from the last game. So you've got Nick Frost. Yeah. Uh, Hooper is, Va- is Valentina and Valentini and Hooper legitimate options because Hooper's not Bobby a Verde. Uh, Tom Hooper would be, I guess. Yeah, well, he's yeah, six, but Tom, got six six. Yeah, so yeah, Tom Hooper's a big big boy, but he came off after half an hour, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So you've got Frost, you've got Hooper, you've got your two jumpers. I mean, most most international lineouts are going to be able to deal with two big jumpers. So they're going to probably need a third option there, and it's not clear to me that they had one. Well, yeah, they need some, they need some props as well, because Alan Alalatoa, even with Will Skelton behind him, was getting pumped. Yeah, he's a good player as well. I, I like him. Yeah, he is a good player. Uh, yeah, uh, but there again, I mean, I don't think they're going to be the only ones getting pumped by Malherb, <laughs> Kitsoff, um, and whoever else that they decide to throw uh, who else do they have? Detoy, Vincent Cock. There's going to be a long list of people that are going to be pulverised. By... Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A long, long, painful list of broken bodies that I've encountered at the <laughs> South African scrum over the course of eight weeks. True. Well, and we should we should just spend a moment talking about South Africa, who were superb. And you, we talked about the Australian kicking game. And it, you know, it'll be easy to talk about Kirtley Arenzo, and we can. And he's, their wingers are really exciting. Vili LaRue is absolutely class. He's good. Yeah. He, I mean, yeah. I mean, not, I don't suppose we're breaking news on that one, but yes, he's a very, well, very good player. But Damien Willems has kind of had the 15, a lot of people have been wanting Damien Willems and, and actually, so Billy I LaRue would agree with has that. sort of been positioned as the guy that's on the periphery now and just a backup, but he's so good. I think the thing is Willie LaRue is he's kind of small and underwhelming, isn't he? That's the thing. So you look at him and you don't think, oh, great, physical specimen. Uh, Wilhelmser on the other hand is a bit bigger a bit, bit more athletic he's played a multitude of positions I mean I really like him I really really like him whether it be 10 or fi- um, or 15 and he just gives you a range of options but you can't I th- you can't deny it can you when LaRue is on and he's in that second playmaker role he's very effective and South Africa's primary playmakers are not actually that good you know if you think about um Andre Pollard. I mean, yeah, he's good, but he's not a world-class playmaker. He's a, maybe a world-class temper, not a world-class playmaker. Willie LaRue is incredibly important then. Mm. He, Willie LaRue 
is one of the most important players because of the way that he comes in and plays that second pivot role. I, I think he's an excellent, excellent player. And it is it will be interesting because uh Valencia can play that that role. Um even even like Libok, who started at ten and um has been playing for the Stormers, got Stormers to a uh URC final. Um he can play fifteen as well. So you could put Pollard with almost one of three second pivots because yeah. the South African centers be it Dialandi and Am or Este Hazen and Am or Este Hazen and Creel or whoever plays there, they are not playmakers. They can yeah. do lots of things amazingly, but they are not going to be a second international playmaker. So that 15 shirt is really, really important. And Ville LaRue showed once again what a class act he is, which is, which is interesting actually because um, there's been some criticism for some players um, who are playing in Japan and not necessarily playing up to the high standard week in, week out. Yeah. Um, someone like uh, Pablo Matera, for example, in the, the second game this weekend. Um, but Villa LaRue has been playing for several years now in Japan, but still looks like he's got it, still looks like he can uh, play on the bigger stage despite not getting the week in, week out, steel on steel. Yeah, the other two, which I think are not important because you know Peter Stefford's always been playing a fair bit of, of of late, but for South Africa to sort of have so long without certain players develop new talent, and then right before World Cup, I mean, if Peter Stefford could get back to the best version of what he could be, and then you've got R. G. Snayman as well, who's been injured for the longest time, if he gets back to mm-hmm. what he could be. You combine them with the sort of the... Uh, I'll tell you another one who never really made it. Like, he was meant to be absolutely brilliant, but he's never taken that step up, is Marco van Staden. Like, Marco van he Staden... He a great game. Like, if he could reach his potential... I mean, these are the guys that they don't need in New Zealand right now. They don't need. So, imagine just adding those to the already dynamite mix, which they have. I mean, it's it's a frighteningly physical squad. Yeah, and, the, and in the in the South African back row... Marco van Staden had a great game and could have played himself into a World Cup spot in mm. what is an incredibly competitive area of the squad. And Dwayne Vermeulen played like, unfortunately, Phil, Phil, you must have been looking at that thinking, where was this Dwayne Vermeulen when he was at Ulster? Uh, I know. Oh, All of a sudden, it, he's like he's like the Dwayne Vermeulen of 2019. Yeah, it is a bit. I mean, he did a, he did a solid job for Ulster, but... We need we needed a big ball carrier, and he offered a lot of leadership, a lot of experience. He kind of guided um, the rolling mall brilliantly, but he wasn't the devastating ball carrier that he used to be. No, um, and we we had a few glimpses of that this weekend, which is, I mean, slightly disappointing, but um, do you, not entirely. Do unexpected. you think it's possible though, just possible that being in the South Africa, I mean, in the Ulster Pack, he is the focal point of everything. You could legitimately say if you're playing Ulster, right, two players focus on the Marlin all of the time. Well, you can't really do that against South Africa. So being in South Africa, it's been the eight in the South Africa pack is a very different proposition to being the eight in the Ulster pack. And I wonder if that just plays into his advantage a bit. He can be more of the leader. He doesn't have to take all the responsibility for carrying. And if he did, if you did commit too many people to stopping him, well, it's not as if they've not got other people that can do that job. Yeah, I, you're you're exactly right. In in Ulster, 
I mean, Ulster's pack is solid, but not enormous. Mm. Not not by any stretch. There's a few few big bodies in there, but it's it's nothing compared to the South African pack, even, even relatively. Because obviously, the South African pack is international versus club, but even South Africa is relatively just about the biggest or certainly most aggressive international pack, whereas Ulster cannot um, claim that accolade in any competition they play in. Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, go on, Tim, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, it's just a oh, I was, I was just, I was just going to quickly mention, uh, before we uh, get off South Africa, just in terms of individuals, I just uh, thought Andre Esterhazen was absolutely brilliant as well. And I think he's genuinely going to be pushing Diolande hard and may even get the 12 jersey I think you're right. Ahead of him. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, he's a, just a force of nature. Yeah. This, so, oh, go on. Love Esther Hazen. I absolutely love him. And I, I love, I, um, on the South African backs, obviously the two World Cup winning wingers, Mapimpi and Colby, are absolutely class. But it's hard to say that um, Moody and Arense will not be pushing them very, very close for that for those starting berths. Particularly Arense. Right, so but both of them, I think, I think both of them are excellent. I mean, Lorenzo has got his hat, took his hat trick brilliantly. His um, try scoring record already. It's like what nine tries in seven tests. Yeah, yeah, he, he's ridiculous. He, he has been absolutely incredible. So I want but to talk. about... I think both of them, Moody, Moody is, and you mentioned it before, JB. Moody in his um, kick chase and particularly box kick chase yes. because he's tall and rangy. He hits hard and he gets up and under those those box kicks so he could be very very useful in world cup yeah so i was going to mention how much i wanted to see this marco van staden that we saw on the weekend when he was at tigers back in the day but we never saw anything of him but more importantly i wanted to use the example of arenze and moody to talk about stuart hogg mm. so um let's just jump straight onto that and i'll i'll, I'll tell you where i'm going so Stuart Hogg's retired, just all of a sudden gone. Yep. What are your thoughts thoughts on that, boys? I'll be honest. I, I it was only when I saw the thing today that I realised he hadn't properly retired already. I'd almost, I think, because he'd said, "Oh, his body can't do it anymore for Exeter," in a, in a, at club level. In a way, I thought, well, that's. I think I just had it in my head. Well, okay, well he's he's done then because if he if he doesn't think that in. November, he can play club rugby. Then I don't think in October he can play international rugby at a World Cup. So you're yeah. so correct, Tim. You're so I, correct. And I'm I'm almost exactly the same. Like when when he first announced several months ago that he was not going to continue after the World Cup, like it was a little bit surprising. But put that with we've watched him, we've watched some of his decline over the past few years from when he was uh, in 2019 um, and before then. And because, God, he made the 2013 Lions tour, didn't he? So 10 years ago, he was uh, one of the most exciting back three players in Europe and remained at that point for seven, eight years. But over the last couple of years, up up to the point where he won the um, Heineken Cup, but since that point, we have seen his decline. Yeah. We saw his previous statement. And I, I, Tim, I was like you. When I saw his previous statement, I actually thought for quite a while that he was announcing his retirement at that moment. So this is, to me, it's not surprising news. I think this might demonstrate 
there's a disconnect between what people think players can do and what players actually are capable of. Let me explain this. So, um, Stuart Hogg has been found wanting because he's at Exeter and the demands of club rugby are just, they just continue week on week on week. And I think as soon as he was found to be a bit fragile, particularly in his defence, and if you remember, he was on the bench, wasn't he, for the European Cup semi or maybe the final and certainly a premiership final or a premiership semi, something like that. So, Exeter effectively had a £400,000 asset sitting on the bench, which was not most pleasing to Tony Rowe, I, I would guess. So the disconnect is, I think a lot of people are looking at the household names in, in, in rugby, and they're actually shocked that they're not going to make it to the World Cup, because I think everyone would have expected to see, like, a Justin Tipperick there, they'd expect to see, um, uh, what's his name, Alwyn Jones there. I mean, these are the household names which which people know. And I think particularly the more centralised unions they go for this player welfare type model where they extend the careers of these well-known players because they're worth lots of money and they believe that there's no one better to, to, to replace them. And when it comes to the crunch later on in their careers, they just can't do it. Stuart Hogg has been very honest about this. I think the same thing happened to uh, Alan Wynn and Justin Tipperick. They were looking at the World Cup build-up like, you know, they'd love to be there, I'm sure, but they just can't deal with the physical intensity of camp now leading up into that World Cup. And I think there's just a disconnect there between what the unions think these players can do and what they actually can do. Ireland are the same. Yeah. I mean, they have extended the life, uh, the rugby life of Johnny Sexton probably beyond what it should be. And the reason I wanted to bring this up to South Africa is, yeah, South Africa's got, got some older boys, but the difference is in South Africa, there's no welfare or protection policy looking after them. You just have to be good enough. And if you're not good enough, you're going to find a kid like uh, Moody or Arenze or Evan Ruse pushing for, for your spot. I think it's a very different proposition to have a, say, Vermaelen playing for you because he's had to actually compete. And if he's not good enough, he will, he will not play compared to, say, I don't know, Alan jones who has been nurtured through a whole season playing two or three games for a World Cup that he'll, ne- that he'll never attend. Mm. I wonder if what, what I, I don't know, and maybe we'll never know, but I wonder if what happened with Alan jones with Justin Tipperick, and maybe even with Stuart Hogg, is that these guys were kind of given a tip off by the coaches? Look, yes, I think you're probably not. That. You're probably not going to make it. So, do you want to do this on your terms? Yeah, and I also think there's a bigger spotlight on them too. So uh, there's just a, this enormous pressure on that sort of player because the rugby pool of players that are well known to the general public is so small. They sort of want to protect the protect the, these lads. And I don't think it's good for the unions. I don't think it's good. I mean, it's not bad. It just means that, you know, certainly in the case of Ireland, where's their ne- where, who was their next 10? They don't have a next 10 because they've kept Johnny Sexton around for so long. No one's had really that that that, that opportunity. Mm, I guess well, the element of what I was saying as well is, I, I've said this before and I say it flippantly, but I kind of mean it a little bit. I think if your country calls on you, then you answer the call. So I, I'm not a massive fan of players retiring from international rugby. Uh, Stuart Hogg's just brought his retirement forward. That's fine. I'm not a huge fan of... I'm going to retire from international rugby. It's quite a football yeah. type thing to do, and and I just like the whole. Uh, I, I like the whole traditional patriotic feeling that you're. If your country calls on you, you're there. Yeah, but like that's, so that's me. Stephen Donald, uh, glad that he did not retire. Like he just wasn't picked, and then his country did call on him, and he played in the World Cup final. That kind of thing. Exactly that. Rather exactly than that. you know saying, "Oh, by the way, guys, I'm I'm gone. It's all about me." Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gone. I'm gone so that. 
I don't have to face the hit to my ego of not being picked that, on merit. Now, just on that, is there a single South African player you can think of who's retired only from international? Ooh. I suppose a part of that would be the fact that they are able to play wherever. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 because I think about the retired guys for Australia and New Zealand, and they're not really retired, are they? They're banned. Well, in, in Australia, you've got you've still got Gitto's Law, so you can have three in any squad. Yeah. Um, five whereas, now. There's five in any squad, yeah. I think so, yeah. Whereas New Zealand, yeah. If you're playing outside of New Zealand, unless you've got one of these like little deals that Bowden Barrett and... Richie McCaw and Dan Carter did it back in the day um, to go and play. I mean, they used to allow them to play in France, but um, a few injuries <laughs> means that they now only do that to um, to Japan to go and play in the soft leagues in Japan. Then you have to be playing in New Zealand. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I can't, I can't think of any South Africans. No, you, no I, I can't. It'd be like a Willie LaRue. I mean, they've got guys in here. Just have a look. Um, well, how's D- D- Dion Ferry? Thirty-six, still, yeah, still yeah. going strong. Um, Dion from Ireland, thirty-seven, still going strong. I just wonder if, as an element of this, there's just not as much pressure on those lads. I mean, there's pressure to for them to make it, but they're not the focal point of their entire national team, like Alan Wynne Jones is, or Justin Tipperick, or Stuart Hogg, or Johnny Sexton. I'll tell you uh, a South African who retired from uh, international rugby for South Africa. Johan Goosen. Uh, <laughs> he, t- he retired from all rugby to go and uh, be the commercial manager for an enormous cattle farm. Huge farm. You'll find. Um, which was a very sensible decision. Yep. No, um, Jean Klein. He retired from <laughs> South Africa. CJ Stander as well. CJ yes. Stander, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, WP Nell. Yeah, Matt, Matt Stevens. <laughs> yeah, there was a few actually. Mike Cat. Paul Valemster, yeah. <laughs> yeah, loads, actually. I, I take it back. <laughs> but Jean Klein, Tim, you were mentioning before about the um, clickbait story, the, the headlines from the Eddie Jones press conference not necessarily perfectly aligning with reality. Did you see the Jean Klein, Paul O'Connell, Backy's both I loved it. Headlines. I loved it. And I hope he said and it. Then, I'd have so much well, more respect for him if, if he did say it. Well, he, he did say it, but did you actually see the clip? No, I didn't. I don't want to see the clip. It's going to Hold ruin on. It. What was he meant to have said versus what actually was said? Well, no, he did say what was meant to have said. So the, the headline was, um, I didn't grow up wanting to wear the number four shirt of Paul O'Connell. I grew up wanting to wear the back of his both a shirt. And so... That was the headline which made the story. And that, that was what he said, but it was in a series of questions about, like, who did he emulate? And it wasn't... It was presented in an incredibly, like, incendiary and inflammatory yeah. way when you read the headlines. And then when you hear the interview, it's like, well, of course he's going to make that point when he's asked that series of questions. Like, it it wasn't... Reality and he- the headlines were are too different things i guess and also it's another example of that point yeah and two things could be true at the same time so i would have done exactly what jean klein did if i were jean klein but i hate the fact that he played for ireland 
I, I, I like it both. Uh, do you know what? If he never played for Ireland, he probably wouldn't be playing for South Africa. I think he made the right the right decisions. <laughs> oh, um, he made the right decision. As I've just acknowledged, I would have done exactly the same. It was the best thing for him. It was the best thing for his family. Uh, and rugby's <laughs> a short career. One injury can end it. Get what you can. I hate the fact that the rules allowed him to do it. Yeah. And the person I always think about is Devin Toner because that would have been his last World Cup. It would have been the, the end of the swan song to his um, international career. And he didn't get to do it. He did he not, was, did he? he? dropped. Poor old Dev. Yeah. Oh, well. sad. Oh, well. Uh, I hope he wins a World Cup with South Africa. That, that's what I hope. But the Poor old Devin Toner stole the opportunity to go out in a World Cup quarterfinal, robbed from him. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Devin Toner makes a comeback for South Africa. That would be a hell of a headline, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. So the headline, Tim, in case, because we didn't actually tell you what the headline is, but the headline was just, just John Klein, I did not grow up dreaming dreaming of wearing Paul O'Connell's shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds like, you know, he's got, I mean, that's how I, that's how it happened in my head. And that's how I want to keep it. <laughs> yeah. And that just makes it extra spicy for the game in Paris if John Klein is involved, which he more than likely won't be. But anyway. Yeah, well, it probably won't be. Yeah, I mean, they are stacked. They are He's absolutely got a, stacked. A leapfrog, Muster, Etzebeth, Diaga, probably Snyman as well, and or, maybe Jean Luc Dupree. And Ori. Marvin Ori, who was good as well. Yeah. 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 He's, got, he's, um, he's got his work cut out. Yes. Do, do you know the, the one comparison as we leap over to. Sorry, is that, is that everything on Stuart Hogg? Unless you've got anything else to add to to him, I mean, uh, no, just what, what a great career he's had. He, he keeps hinting at what his next gig is. It's clearly on the telly. Um, yeah, I, I we'll just see, have, we'll see what it is. I actually have an enormous amount of respect for doing this. It would be, it wouldn't be easy to go out in the World Cup, but I guess the temptation would be to, you know, see if you could do it and hope it turns around. But to be honest, honest enough with everybody and say, yeah, on, right on the eve of it, take someone else, take someone else. I'm not worth the place. There is something to be said for that. But there, there is, when I read like, all the statements I've read from the likes of Navidi and um, Tipperick and Alan Wynne-Jones and um, Hogg, certainly the way they're written is these guys' bodies are breaking down. Like they are, They've been asked to do repeated train se- training sessions every day in a World Cup camp. So weight session, um, endurance, fitness sessions, skill sessions contact sessions and they just cannot do it yeah. now that's how and i'm like i've been in those positions where your body is breaking down like you're falling you are falling apart so i have a lot of sympathy with that and i i don't i don't necessarily think all of them are exactly in that position and some of it might be a little bit of um, ego protection but i think there's a good chance that most of those guys are they just cannot live with that schedule anymore. It's After quite an, years, well, years yeah. of wear and tear. Can I just point out, it's a very interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? How the clubs think they can manage their players compared to the international teams. So I guess Ireland are fairly uniformed in what the national team knows and what the club team knows, I, I guess, because they're so intertwined. But particularly for Wales, I mean, they do protect a lot of these players a lot through the... Um, Top four, whatever it is, pro four, what, what's it called now? Celtic League, uh, URC, um, throughout the URC campaign. And then when it comes to World Cup, they absolutely beast them. I mean, you would think, wouldn't you, if they protect them all through the season, they would know if they're capable of playing or not. 
rather than but, hammering them with these World Cup camps. But I, th- I think I remember, I think it was you talking to Courtney Laws on uh, Rugby Dungeon, mm. and he, he was talking about the difference between playing for Northampton, club game, and the difference in intensity playing the international game, but not just not just the 80 minutes. It's the preparation you need to get your body ready to play those 80 minutes. i tell you who it was. It was Gary Graham. Gary Graham. <laughs> Honestly, Gary Graham was, was talking about how hard England camp was. And I'm, well, I'm certain that Courtney Laws made the same point as well. Possible. And, and, in, and in, the, in the World Cup as well, everything is magnified. Yeah. Because in, in the Six Nations, you play five games over seven weeks. Big deal. Yeah. Whereas in the in the World Cup, certainly in the group stages, you play four games in about three weeks. Yeah. You play it with like four days rest in between games. And so you have to be like, there is no hiding place in, in the training camp because and it's very, very different to... It's even more than that. It's not just, it's, it's also not just the international uh, coaches or anything like that. It's the fact that you have the, the well, in the World Cup, it'll be right now, it's the 40 odd, let's say, guys vying for a jersey and the the level of competition they are Christ, taking yeah. lumps out of each other it's just it just gradually ramps it up and ramps it up it's like when you get to the like you watch the 10,000 meters or something at the olympics and like one person goes a little bit quicker and then everyone else behind goes quicker and before you know it they're basically sprinting for the last four laps that's, yeah. that's basically how an international camp is as well isn't it yeah yeah absolutely i didn't yeah. even thought of that but that's exactly right and you must you must in your heart of hearts know that you're falling behind when you see you know, your 25-year-old opposition who's just as big as you and a bit stronger than you and a bit faster than you and it's just sort of working out how the game is played at a frightening rate. Yeah, I, I, that, is, that has to be part of it. And they're recovering. The 25-year-old competitor is recovering from that gym session, from that strength session, from that contact session. And they're ready to go again two hours later, the next day, the next day, the next day. Yeah, I, I'll go give you the, the, like the last um, bit of this, which is also the way the international teams play. They want the biggest lads in a, a very, very stripped down version of the club game. It's just more intense, more, more of a basic game plan, which relies on physicality and, and intensity. So I guess you have that layer on it too, particularly for the... Teams like England, who don't get... Well, they say they don't get enough time together. I think they get plenty of time together. But that's what they'll be looking to do. Mm. Interesting. Just one way to segue to the New Zealand-Argentina game uh, is the fact that what, what we've already mentioned that South Africa did particularly well was have that com- the combination of 10 and 15. And that was a feature of New Zealand as well, who have a bunch of different pieces they can put in those in those positions in well, this this time it was D Mac and Bodie, but they've got Richie Mwanga who came off the bench. They've got Will Jordan who will come into the reckoning and others besides. But that ten fifteen combination was devastating. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's no other way of putting it. And and I would add to that, Geordie um, Barrett as well. Geordie and Rico as a combination. Well, yeah. Which I I said this. A, couple of years ago, I think that Geordie Barrett, his best position is probably 12. It also aligns with one of the most difficult positions to play and a, probably a, a weakness for that New Zealand team. And because he is so big, like he's 6'5 and 105 plus kg, 
Um, he couldn't, and he's also so fast, as you saw when he finished his try off and he's played on the wing for the All Blacks. He's he's such a useful player because oh. he, he has a bit of everything. Tell you what, Harry Malander should have been Harry Malander. Yeah, if if only for injuries. Yeah. Yeah. What does it say about New Zealand and their production of centres that both their centres are wingers or or fullbacks? Mm. Or how how much does it speak to just how difficult that position is? Well, because those those two are for wingers or back three. They are both very big. Uh, Rico Yuan is about 6'3", over 100 kilos. Jordy uh, Barrett is 6'5", well over 100 kilos. That um, They can slot in. It, show, it, it does say something to the size and skill set that you need to play those positions. Yeah. Oh, God, goodness. I'm just looking I, at I, I agree with that. I also think, and it's possibly what JB was hinting at, is that, well, well certainly my answer to your previous question, JB, is that there is something about the, and I think it's right from when you're, you're a kid in New Zealand, you just get the fundamentals nailed. Every single player on that team has great hands, I'll great understanding of the game, I'm, great I'm, I'm looking at lines of running. And these guys are not, they're not into the fundamentals. Uh, Damien McKenzie, Geordie Barrett, Richie Mwanga, Bowden, but I mean, these are just some, it, it, it does seem like they just want to get their best players somehow on the field together in some way or in a squad I mean their skills that those boys have so yeah okay I say it flippantly obviously they do have the fundamentals but fundamentals plus something else as well it's quite incredible yeah, yeah. I mean David McKenzie and, well, we've already ten. touched on it with South Africa the the power of or the value of experience in a World Cup year and we saw that as well Dane Coles hasn't played for New Zealand for a couple of years and he looks ace. He is ace, though. And he's, I mean, that would be the clue there. He's 36 now, I think, as well. Is he? Is it old? Yes, he is. Yeah. Christ. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't play like a 36-year-old. <laughs> no. Mind you, neither did uh, Shulk, uh, Shulk Brits before he retired. Shulk Brits was perennial, like a perennial 23-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> right until the end. He, he could come back tomorrow and still play like that. And both of them as well have got the... Um, it's, it's a good comparison, that one, because both of them have got the the kind of outside channel break, the hanging out in the wide channels, scoring tries for fun, and both have got that slightly um, over-the-top young man aggression as well, where they just <laughs> yeah. take things a bit too yeah. far. Like, I always yeah. think back to Scout Brits uh, punching Owen Farrell in the face, teammate Owen Farrell in the face in the... Is it the 2013 Lions? Yeah, the story behind that is he's best mates with Ben Spencer. <laughs> ben, ben Spencer that, I think when that happened, Ben Spencer was about uh, 17 years old. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he saw the writing on the wall between Spencer and Farrell a long, long time before the rest of us. <laughs> Tried to nip it in the bud, but yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, the, the, I mean, the, skill, the skills on display for... I mean, just just the, the the name value on 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 display for New Zealand is absolutely awesome, absolutely awesome. And just so go, just go through that New Zealand team. I don't think there's anyone had a poor game. Um, but Sam Kane, I thought was really good. Josh Lord, who, who I you know re- rarely gets mentioned at, at lock and won't be a starter necessarily, but he looked really good. Uh, it's just right across the team. I, I don't know. Again, it would be an interesting question. Like who had. Argentina, what what on earth has happened to them? 
Who knows? Who knows? At home. You know, they do have odd results, though, don't they, in fairness? Like, when you completely write them off, they can go to New Zealand, live in the hotel rooms for three weeks and still win. Or Ar- was it Australia Ar- they won? Argentina. Well, Argentina have beaten New Zealand twice in the last yeah. three years, having never beaten them before. But the Argentina, when was it? Two years ago? The... Jaguares got kind of ripped up, didn't it? Certainly the Jaguares that we we knew for about five or six seasons, which it it had a couple of benefits. It had like a route to top level for a lot of Argentine players. And it also meant you were keeping a lot of Argentine players together. So they got that cohesion. They got used to playing together. And so it was only a handful of the, the other stars who were playing elsewhere, like... Matera or Issa or um, Imhoff or those guys. Um, whereas now, because that's ripped up, everyone is spread across the world. Like everyone's spread right across all the different leagues, and therefore they're coming together for um, the the test matches without that cohesion, without that same level of unity that they had for the last five or six years. I think but if be- you remember, they got to a they got to a World Cup semi final and finished third before the Jaguares, and and we were talking after that World Cup. Can't they remember did, which one yeah. it was. Twenty fifteen. Well, they and got we were talking after that. Two thousand after that World Cup, like oh, with the Jaguares, they're going to take it on another level. Yeah, two thousand seven was when they beat France in the in the opening yes. game, and then went on to. I think they got third place then. Yeah, I mean, but you you are right. Um, that now that. That Argentina team in 2007 played with probably the most simplistic game plan you could possibly ever play with. And that it might be that they have to just go back to that. Yeah. Two, two big boots and a rolling mall and a, a, a very, um, very effective set piece. Yeah. Well, it wasn't it wasn't that effective against New Zealand. In fact, that's one final thing which dovetails with Argentina, but I just want to mention on, on New Zealand is and I did think this back in November when I saw that 25 all draw England New Zealand and I was really impressed by their props but I tell you what by the end of the world cup Tyrell Lomax and um Ethan De Groot oh god Groot. what's the other prop De Groot that started De Groot Ethan, Ethan De Groot yeah. thank you JB Ethan De Groot and Tyrell Lomax are the real deal and when you've got Fletcher Newell and can never remember the name of the other guy, not Williams or Tamatea, the the other giant prop. When you got them behind, I, they are South Africa level scary, in my opinion. Um, I'm mm. looking at the New Zealand team sheet. I didn't see this game. Um, did, did Cody Taylor play off the bench? Did they take? Oh yes, okay, that's fine. Yes, that yeah, they, sense, they left the, they left Takiaho out because um, he was in the game. Super Rugby final. Ah, yeah. I think. I mean, I don't really know much about the um, New Zealand front five. I've seen no Super Rugby, so I can't really pass pass comment. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if they'll. They've stand got up. a lot. They've got a lot, lot better in re- in recent years. Well, let's see how they stand up to uh, the South Africans next week because that'll be the well real France test. on September the eighth, or France on oh, September yeah. the eighth. Yeah, quite the opening quite. game of the World Cup. God, I hope France pan them. <laughs> I really do that's going to be some game that I really want to see for all the skills that 
Geordie Barrett has. How does he handle Jonathan Dante running down his throat? <laughs> I can't wait, mate. 59 days. Yeah, I, think. I mean, or is it 60 days today? I mean, yeah, even even the matchups. I mean, you know, Aaron Smith is a wizard, but so is du- so, so so is Dupont. Like Dupont has might have even stepped up to the next level. There are oh, some incredible matchups. Actually, th- uh, uh, thinking it through, it's that will be a dynamite game. But the game, the game this weekend, South Africa traveling to New Zealand, yeah. that is exciting. That's really exciting. Well, we'll soon find out if De Groot and Lomax are up to it when um, they go up against those, when they go up against those boys. It's not a bad test. No, it's not, is it? Uh, excellent. So we've done rugby championship. We've done Stuart Hogg. Who's been watching the the under twenties? Because I have not. I watched the. I watched what I could. Today, the, um, man, like that. Those two semi-finals, the one for the uh, first v fourth, second v third from the seedings coming through the qualifiers, so good. Right, Ireland and France, worthy finalists. So but... let's just stop there a second. I looked at the fixtures. Can you explain to me who's playing which games? Because there's four semi-finals today. Yeah, so every team plays the same number of games, the three pool matches. Yeah, and then effectively it's semi-final positional semi-final well there's basically a first to fourth uh, playoff semi-final final yeah and there's a fifth to eighth and then a ninth to twelfth got it so France will play Ireland in the final France will play Ireland in the in the final which is effectively yeah the what for positions one and two England ah, will play New Zealand uh, not New Zealand England will play uh, who did Ireland beat? South Africa. England will play South Africa to decide who comes third, who comes fourth, and so on. Right. So that yeah. So everyone. So you. There's no not making the final and going home. You have to stay for the whole thing to get your your position. You play five. Yeah. Every team plays five games. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Interesting. Interesting. So England could finish third. Yeah, which I mean, if you think about that from a, I suppose it's different in the pool games in the World Cup because every team plays four games anyway. Mm. So maybe that's not so bad. But it would be nice, wouldn't it, if you had, this has been talked about many times, if there was a another competition that kept it bubbling for like, yeah, Georgia like and the UEFA Cup of the, World, and, of the World Cup. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah. I'd, I'd love that. And I, I think that'd be great. Well, there are, you know, if you look at football, and maybe it's not a great example, but I think there's something to it. Look at the enthusiasm that the UEFA, is it the Conference Cup or whatever the hell it was, which West Ham won? Oh, yeah, the, the UEFA, uh, Europa Conference. Yeah, and actually that turns out to be fairly yeah. successful. I mean, I would not be adverse to seeing not only a UEFA Cup type thing, like a second tier competition going on at the same time as... All, you know, when the big boys go into the big boy knockout stage, there should be there should be a secondary one, and then you can go home. Yeah, yeah, I I tend to agree because the the first half of the World Cup is two games or three games every day for three three plus weeks, and it's brilliant. It's a festival of rugby. Yeah, and then you then you get two or three games a week for the last three weeks, so it, it's. It, to fill that with more good content, because I, 
imagine Georgia versus Fiji for the the final of the whatever you want to call it, the the Europa style, the conference yeah. World Cup. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, and also That'd be such a good game. You would still fill the stadium. I mean, it might not be full of Fijians and Georgians, but if you play on the Friday night, and you know England are playing France in the final, say. There'll be a lot of people who just buy tickets for that just to be in the city to watch to watch the final anyway. Yeah. So Agreed. I think it's, it's yeah, and there's all win. there's always host cities that that don't get um, that get overlooked or don't get the nod. You could it's, you could potentially do it like that, spread it around. It could be smaller stadiums or, mm. or whatever. But yeah, there's way, there's ways it could be done. But I mean, it's amazing for Namibia and Chile and and all and. Uruguay to get the chance to play against, you know, oh, the yeah. best players in the world that they'll watch on TV. But it's also awesome for them to have something really meaningful at the end of it. And also, not many teams, hardly any teams, internationally get much competition experience in the knockouts. Just by definition, you only play it once every four years. The chances of you getting to the final are fairly, fairly remote. So giving someone like Chile competition experience all the way through to a semi-final or in Namibia, that, that'd be awesome. And who can forget what was a what? I was just about to say who can forget, and I have forgotten who Uruguay beat. Fiji. Fiji. Who yeah, could it was Uruguay that? beat Fiji last time, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Yep. And that and the and the and the captain in tears giving his interview. It, you know, it, it they, they were never going to qualify, but what that meant, it, it, it would just be awesome to create more moments like that. And if seeing as World Rugby are going down the World League route, where they're going to cement the power and cash in the hands of the, the top 10 nations. Well, at least extend a bit of an olive branch and go, well, you know, we'll let you have some moments at a rugby yeah, world cup. I bet there's good. In fact, now I'm thinking about it. I bet there's going to be more of those moments. You know, the moments they love to put on their um, Twitter account, which have nothing to do with rugby, but you know, moments about men being weak and crying and that kind of thing. Um, there'll be far, <laughs> there'll be far more stories like that in the lower competition than there will be, um, than there will be in the in the actual senior one, albeit albeit the heavy favourites for that competition, if it was to be played uh, two World Cups ago, would have been England, who went out in the um, group stages. No. It'll, it'll be, it it'll be Ireland, South Africa, or uh, yeah. Scotland for this one. God, imagine imagine the indignity for South Africa having to play like the second tier <laughs> cup. Yeah, it simultaneously is a great opportunity for small nations and a horrendous punishment for the big nations. <laughs> also I've just got to point out one of the things that World Rugby put up on their social channels which has been the best thing for a while which Phil brought up a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago was the Italian captain talking about mm. going and smashing his opponents and making them respect Lead. us and they don't respect us it was it was like pure aggression and alpha male alpha maleness and I loved it what do you say make make your opposite man bleed at your feet I know, but he might not have said that. Something like, it's something similar, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Italian under-20s captain, it was awesome. Class. Yeah. Um, but By the way, they got smashed by Fiji under-21s. Yes, they did. Smashed. Fiji have got some ballers. Yeah. So, uh, so England, who did you... Did, did you see any of the game, Tim? Um, I was working at the time, but I just kept an eye on it. Uh, so basically, while I was working today, I was half watching the cricket and then half watching the rugby. Very wise, very wise indeed. But yeah. uh, but uh, Ing- Lewis Chesham really like him from England's point of view. Good. Uh, Chandler Cunningham South is very good at rugby. Is he I quite that like young? This Greg Fisselow fella. He's a 
he's all action. The seven. So yeah. I quite I thought England's pack were, were good. Uh, the way England played, just their handling, their skills were really good. They played a really attractive style of rugby. They just and I thought they were gonna win. They were twenty four fourteen up against France. And then before you knew it, I looked up and it was like forty forty five twenty four or something at one point. Wow. So anyway, France turned it on in the second half and it was a one way traffic and France, my goodness. England's second try was incredible. But some of the some of the scores and some of the play that this France team have been doing during this World Cup is outrageous. Well, yeah, I mean, you've named a guy there, Cunningham South, who I had no idea he was that young. I knew he was young, but I didn't know he qualified for the, for the under-20s still. Um, if you look in the French League, a lot of those lads have already got top top 14 experience now. And it's yeah. a great league to get your experience from. And if you can play top 14, well, I guarantee you yeah. can play under-20s. Two, the two, well, two of France's best under 20s players are with the senior squad and so haven't been able to play as well. The fullback, uh, the centre, Getan, <laughs> and the fullback, whose name just escaped, uh, uh, Bierre Barret, those two are awesome. And they, at the last minute, just before the under 20s World Cup, were told, oh, you know, you're with the senior side. Oh, got it. So France have got ridiculous talent. Um, is Arundel still under 20s qualified? I think he would be, yeah. I think he is as well, yeah. So, goes both ways. True. Uh, good. Right, so, um, anyone wants to talk about anything else? I've got some brand new CrossFit socks. Does that, does that excite you? <laughs> are you? Are you wearing them or are your feet covered at the moment? I am wearing them. I, I got So, I've not watched, watched much rugby this weekend because it's my it was my sister's wedding, so I did that. But on Friday, I ordered brand new... Oh, do you know what I did on Friday? Go on. I You... Did a uh, it, it is CrossFit related? Yes. No, no legged, no legged rope climb. No, yeah, no legged rope climb. How that, about that? No, that's, that's very, easy. Yeah, that's easy, and I do that on Thursdays. Yeah. Uh, no, on Friday, <laughs> uh, I booked myself in for a PT session with a female lifter who competes. I think she competed at the Commonwealth Games, but she definitely is about to compete in. Um, where's she going to now? The Welsh Championships. And there's two of them. My word, it's impressive. They are, they are incredible. So I booked myself an hour's session uh, lifting with them, and uh, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What tips did you pick up? Um, my snatch is actually surprisingly good, which I didn't really. I what was their bad. snatch like? Unreal. It is unreal. Like. I, I'm not even going to go into. I'm not even going to delve into innuendo because you want to see. Just how good they are. <laughs> in your, what, do you, what do you mean innuendo? I don't understand. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but my clean is not what I thought it was, despite it being very heavy. <laughs> very good. And did, did you uh, did you get any record-breaking lifts this week, JB? No. I, I, do you not, I've not told you I've got nerve damage in my arm. No, but you, you did text me at 5am or 6am one morning saying you got 190 uh, back squat. Oh, yeah. So I can squat, no problem. I can clean a bar, but I can't push anything over my head and I can't do a press-up because I've got nerve damage in my left arm and I literally can't push off on it. So I've been setting some good squat records, but um, I have not been able to push anything over my head, which is a shame because... I want- you, you have just reminded me, oh, get well soon, mate. I hope, I hope that's um, on the mend. Well, it's uh, a, I was going to say... Uh, it's actually a good thing. Yeah, go on. It's actually a good thing because I can't well, concentrate on lifting now, so I need to do other things like running... 
and squatting more. So it's fine. Mm. In fact, if anything, if I can stay injured for yeah. a little longer, it'll probably be beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a video I saw of Andrew Porter doing eight reps back it. squats. Just, what was it, 260 kegs? And he was just doing it, like, repping it out. Was it 260? It was something... It was something I thought it was like 200. Like yeah. Well, I mean, was it 200? I think it's 200 for I eight. I don't know. Which is still bloody good, by the way. Yeah, it was 200 for eight, but it was just... It wasn't just the fact that it was eight. It was the... the just... The, the control he had going down. He was yeah. slow down. And there was and the exact same pace back up again. It was uh, really impressive. It is, isn't it? It's like the Charlie Yule's video. You don't understand how amazing these guys are until you see them at an activity which is tangible that you can also do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really... You don't really understand how good they are when you just see them running into each other. You do understand when you see them in a squat rack, you think, bloody hell, if I added 10 kg to my PB and did it eight times, I'd be as good as Andrew Porter. But but also not bouncing out of the bottom and just like just smooth and slow smooth and steady the whole time. It, that it's just it's the control as much as anything that just blew my mind. Is there another way to squat? Is there? Well, as in you know, some people go down fast <laughs> yeah. and bounce out of the bottom. Yeah, they you know do. what I mean. As they in, do. well, in fact, that's what most that's what we all do when yeah. we're getting right near our heavy right near our threshold. True, true. So th- that led me to believe Andrew Porter's got a lot more in the tank. That's the point. Yeah, we want more lifting videos. Yeah, a lot speaking more. Speaking of uh, speaking of Charlie Yule's and lifting weights, did you? I think you've seen it, Tim. The first O2 um, inside line from the summer camps. Yeah, where Charlie Yule? I didn't. I didn't know he'd gone to South Africa to play for the last few months um, of the season. Probably to get. I off. did actually. I did know this. I forgot about it. Yeah, presumably to get off Bath's um, payroll towards <laughs> the end of the season. But the most incredible bit there was um, Ellis Genge, England vice-captain, just announced as England vice-captain, on England's own social media that they have put out, basically accusing Charlie Yules of doing human growth hormone while he was in South Africa. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's, watch the video and Genge, he, he makes this like offhand comment that, God, that boy, his nose has grown so much since he's, come, uh, since he's been in South Africa. He no, can, Genji, uh, no. He can, he can smell a Sunday roast on a Tuesday, that boy. And it's like, <laughs> your, your England vice captain is accusing one of your players who's just been in South Africa for three months of taking HGH on your own social media. By the way, is that, is that, because obviously Ellis Genge was making a joke, but I I didn't make the connection with human growth hormone. Is that a well-known side effect then? Yes, it is. Big foreheads, big noses. um, It is, it is 100% a a known side effect. And Genge, Genge 100% knows that as well. Like that's, that's not a slip of the tongue. Like it's not a, it's not, it's not his job to not, put it up on the channel is it is that this, yeah, yeah they're the editors it's Genj having a joke and like um in the piss out of his one of his mates which is fine absolutely fine in the confines of camp just don't put it on up on on youtube <laughs> where hundreds of thousands of people are going to watch it you love it i absolutely love it on but... a completely unrelated note you, um, go online and have a look at the picture of uh, duan van der merve oh, as a teenager <laughs> do you know how much hgh costs should you want to do some no, I do not. It is 
unbelievably expensive. <laughs> and it's and an, so I looked into this. Like I was, I was looking into the costs of how much would it cost to dope up a whole team. You know, because that's what I like. You know, that's, that's what I like to do. Um, I tell you why. Um, <laughs> Matt Hardy, journalist for City AM, he's just in a story with this guy called D'Souza. and this D'Souza fellow. I want to say his first name's Nick, but I could be making that up. He wants to do a Olympics full of athletes that have been juicing. Right. I've seen the headlines. I've not read about it, but I saw the headlines. Yeah, so he already claims it is a hundred meter sprinter is faster than Us- um, Usain Bolt's and could get the record tomorrow. And he's ready to uh, go. I would watch that. I would pay, I would pay to watch that. I would pay to I watch would pay that. to watch the juiced, the juiced Olympics. Let's just see what the human body is capable of. Yeah, so the question was asked to me, would you watch this for rugby? I'm like, yes, I would. Yes, I would. And then it, it came to, well, how much is this going to cost? And HGH <laughs> is frighteningly expensive. <laughs> I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm just going to put out a recommendation for a read of, of a book. It's by an Australian discus thrower, one-time discus thrower called uh, Werner Rietner. And he, he was Austrian, but then grew up in Australia and competed for Australia. And he pulled out of the Olympics just before the Sydney 2000 Olympics because he didn't want to do it juiced. And he didn't what, want he, to do it juiced. what he, what he claims. Yeah. Uh, is is that it was he, the 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 book is just an account of how rife it is, how the authorities know everyone's juicing, and how they only ever test the people that they know aren't juicing, and that the the Olympic committees of all of the countries, but particularly the rich wealthiest mm. countries, all know it's happening and have their own doctors to administer it, as well as masking agents and right. all the rest of it. So, here's, so it, it's it's a fascinating read. So here's the thing interesting for you then. So weight weightlifting. I'm kind of getting quite into watching my weightlifting. I'm not, I mean, I don't, I've not actually watched a whole competition, but watching lots of YouTube videos and, and whatnot. And the contention is that you become an, an athlete. And if you're an independent athlete, you'll be in a better position because you know what you're putting in your, in, in, in your body. You can run your own doping if, if you like. And if you're in a national program, it becomes a lot more, um, it becomes a lot more dark because of course the international program doesn't want you to know what you're having. So you can't, dob them in to the authorities and also you don't know what you're having so you're better off becoming a independent athlete rather than subjecting yourself to medication which you don't actually understand or know what it is does that make sense yeah so yeah and also have you listened to the joe rogan interview from about 10 years ago now with the carlos the guy who no not salazar that's not him it's a it's a guy who who worked with Dwayne Chambers, a Belco yeah. Labs or whatever it was. Oh, no, I've never heard that. Oh, it's I amazing. That. It's that amazing. Is a, that is a brilliant, brilliant interview. It's one of the best. You, 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 yeah. you kind of, there's some of it you're like, yeah, 100% believe that happened and still happens. And some of it you're like, maybe that's going a bit far. Yeah, but they had. Superb. Do you remember not Warren Sapp? A fighter called Sap from back in the day. Hmm. Yeah, I think I do. It's not Warren Sap. It was maybe Benny Sap or someone like that. Let me find his name. But uh, yeah, that guy accused him of literally buying steroids by the barrel and then okay. distributing them around the fighting leagues of of Japan. Huh. And that's what's his name. 
Wow. Bob Sapp, that's the boy. Look at Bob Sapp. And you tell me that, that yeah, guy he is did, producing. He did like uh, mixed martial arts and like K, was it K1 or K2? That's the one, yeah. Fighting, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, some great interviews. Mm. So there we go. That's a, that, what, what a great way to finish the podcast on performance enhancing drugs. Well, just that that, um, that 1986 Seoul Olympic 100 meter final that Ben Johnson got famously disqualified for. So this guy, Werner Rietner, what he writes about in terms of that is, well, Ben Johnson was from Canada and Canada, their Olympic committee, didn't do any centralised doping. Oh. Uh, so Ben Johnson did it on his own. And that's what, that's how he ended up getting caught. And what, uh, but he's, but Carl Lewis, Linford Christie, the people that got silver and bronze and about four other, uh, three other sprinters in that race all subsequently were, were found positive for Nandrolone or whatever it was. Uh, so they, they all, but basically seven out of the eight in that Olympic final were, were doping, but only one of them got caught because he was from a country where they didn't do it in a centralized fashion. Got it. Well, there's also the the list. This has been done so many times, but the list of up to about 2019, maybe 2018, pre super shoes, super spikes, and super tracks, because that just um, rewrites everything again. But the top ten fastest hundred meter times of all time, uh, or maybe it's the top twenty, and say ten of them are Usain Bolt, but every other name on the list, like. Um, like Tyson Gray and Tyson Gay and Johan Blake and uh, not Dwayne Chambers. I don't think he was in there, but the other guy is Justin Gatlin and the Safa Powell. Basically, everyone else on that list has at some point in their career tested positive um, for something or other, with the total exception of Usain Bolt, who is either yeah. a total freak which may, and I'm 50-50 on this, he is um, significantly ahead of the curve in many dimensions, or he was protected because he was too, like like the bank's too big to fail. I, I think it's I'm, I'm willing to believe the former on that one. I might be naive, and I love a, I love a, um, a little conspiracy theory. I love it. But I, I'm willing to believe the former on that one, purely because when you look at Usain Bolt, he doesn't look like any of the others. No, I, Physi- he, like physically, he he doesn't have those like real like. Remember the shape of Linford Christie back in the day, like ridiculous, oh, yeah. like like in like like a Marvel character, not like a. Well, funny real enough, I'm literally human. looking at pictures of Linford Christie right now, and it reminded me. I was looking at pictures of Dwayne Chambers for some reason. Some reason this this came up, and I looked at the British hundred meter record. So for all of the attention Dwayne Chambers got, he was actually rubbish. He's only like, he's in the, the in like the eighth fastest Britain. Linford Christie is still the fastest fastest Briton. No, not anymore. Oh, who, who is he second then? Zarnell Hughes about two weeks ago. Oh, that's probably why. I, yeah, really? that's probably why Good I was reading it. Yeah, yeah. James now Dwayne mm. Chambers was a ridiculous specimen. Yeah, yeah. but like, if if you, I, I'm not again. Well, they've both been caught for juicing, so I can. I guess I can say it. But just if you were just objectively looking and going guess juiced unjuiced then yeah you'd instantly pick you know the ones you'd instantly pick out and they're all the but you wouldn't pick out Usain Bolt he's got a relatively normal figure yeah you are actually yeah he's a bit smoother he, isn't he he's unusual as well because he's just so tall 
he's considerably six five. He's considerably taller than almost any hundred meter sprinter. Yeah, he'd make a phenomenal lineup option. I he would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and final uh, fitness related thing, you you spotted that High Rocks is coming to Manchester, JB. Yes, I'm considering doing that. But I'm rubbish at running. That is a. That it, is a. It's mostly running. Workout. Yeah, it, well, so workout. My sweet spot is actually shorter runs and heavier weights. But I don't think Hyrox is heavy enough for me to have any competitive advantage on anyone. Really, it's just yeah. Keep going, keep going, keep going. So I might do it because I'll be awful at it. If I can, if I can get fit, that's not a bad workout for me. Oh, that's a great workout. <laughs> the key question is getting fit. Yeah, but um, yeah, I. I I don't, I don't know. I either go do the team or I do the individual with the heavier weights because I think I might get a slight advantage then. Slight, mm. very, very marginal. The, the, te- the team is pairs anyway, isn't it? So you should. Is it? I thought, uh, I, I thought it was a four. I, I, th- I don't know. Or it's Mick. You have to be mixed teams after that. It's mixed pairs. Bigger, I think. Same sex pairs, team, individual, and individual pro. How many is in a team? I think there's four. I think I could be making it up. But my yeah. gym has started doing Sunday sessions just for High Rocks now. So I might have to get get involved with those. Interesting. Mm. But Interesting. Anyway, watch, yeah, watch any- the space. We, we may be high rocks wankers as well as CrossFit uh, wankers. Well, anyone who's ever podcast, seen me do so any form of sport warned. will know that I'm not a high rocks type athlete, to put it mildly. <laughs> so we will see. Yes. Well, an egg chasers four-man four team, if you can find a fourth man. Well, that, that that could be, we could use the podcast as a platform to reach out to a fourth member, recruit. Charlie Hills. Let's let's see what Dwayne Chambers is doing that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you can get like a retired player to join us. Or a current player. I bet we could. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm sure we can do That's a good shout. I yeah. like it. Uh, and also, whilst we're talking about um things we're gonna do, it looks like I'm definitely going out to Dubai Sevens again, so that is fun. Awesome. Yeah, but when do, is that? November. November thirtieth. I'm going to fly out there. And do you know what? I'll be, uh, what I will be doing in Dubai Sevens? CrossFit. CrossFit. Yeah. Well done, Tim. Nailed it. Very nice. Excellent. All right. We've definitely run out of ropey stuff to talk about now. Yeah. So CrossFit and juicing. We're, we are done. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure. Absolutely, I'm boys. Right. Um, enjoy your travel tavern, and Phil, enjoy whatever you're doing tomorrow. I'm sure it'll be glorious. And um, everyone else, enjoy your drive to work whilst listening to our excellent podcast. We will see you again next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.